0: in search of deeper faith, in need of brighter hope, and in thanks for God's steadfast love. Amen. Amen. And to these words from Matthew, I add the gospel of Aretha Franklin. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. And as you know, to respect, to reinspect is to look again. It's to go beyond the first impression, to peer beneath the surface. Not to miss one another's essential humanity and God-given possibility to look again. To respect someone is to remember that how things appear on the surface is not what we most need to know about another person. We're more, far more, than what those first appearances tell us. We're not blue collar or white collar or no collar mainly, tattooed or pierced, polyester or wool, labor or management, Walmart or Nordstrom's, Republican or Democrat, healthy or sick, old or young, sinner or saint to be sure we put these and other labels on ourselves and each other and their effect is to distance us from what is truest and most human and holiest about all of us and i believe that the holy spirit ceaselessly invites us to look at each other again to reconsider to respect each other and I invite you to keep that invitation in mind as we listen to this morning's story from Matthew. The tension between Jesus and his detractors had rapidly been increasing. Among his own people, the Jews, he had become a provocateur just days before this story Jesus had staged a scene of guerrilla theater in the Jerusalem temple, overturning the tables of merchants who exchanged Roman coins for temple coins so that people could give the expected offerings, and merchants who sold animals to traveling pilgrims so they could offer sacrifices. These people charged exorbitant rates to people who were at their mercy and there was no mercy so Mm -hmm. jesus overturned their tables and the jangling noise of the tables falling to the floor and the sound of coins bouncing and echoing off stones these were the sounds really of justice and judgment don't make the house of God, Jesus said, a market for racketeers. Instead, let it be a refuge of prayer for everyone. Jesus threatened the false but workable peace that the Jewish leaders had worked out with the Roman government, the empire. And he also had given hope to the marginalized. Hope that the status quo did not have to remain in place. That God would liberate them from their subservience to the powers that be. That they would have enough of what they needed to survive. And more than than enough of the joy and peace to make life worth living. The ragtag hopers... Who thronged around Jesus were more and more taking to the streets with their hopes, declaring him to be their long-anticipated Messiah. And the religious leaders in Jerusalem knew that the Romans would not tolerate any threat to the stability of their rule. And they also knew that because Jesus was a Jew, they would hold them responsible the romans would hold them responsible for any undermining they perceived so these two groups of religious leaders who rarely and reluctantly cooperated with each other conspired to lay a trap for jesus and they cooked up a crafty question about taxes I mean, who doesn't like to talk about tax reform, right? Their question wasn't about the temple tax, which they imposed, or land taxes, custom taxes, public utility taxes, trade taxes, which Rome and its minions collected. Instead, they focused their question on the most galling tax that the Romans imposed, the one Which the Jews most resented. It was sometimes called the poll tax, most often simply the imperial tax. It was the tax Rome charged the people of Palestine to fund the Roman oppression of Palestine. They paid the government to oppress them. No wonder the tax was so hated. So these plotters went to Jesus and they first tried to butter him up with their flattery teacher. We know you're sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one for you do not regard people with partiality. And I can imagine Jesus thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they asked what they were sure was an ironclad trap of a question. Tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes, this despised tax, to the emperor or not? Now, if he said yes, then the common people, the most destitute and desperate, the people at whose side Jesus had faithfully stood and upon whose wounds he had lavishly poured out mercy, these Most desperate people would feel abandoned and betrayed by him. But if he said no, then the religious leaders would have what they needed to turn him over to the empire on charges of insurrection. So instead, Jesus asked a couple of questions of his own. I'm sure you've heard about the young Torah student who asked his rabbi teacher, why do you answer all of my questions with a question? To which the old man replied, my son, what is wrong with my answering all your questions (laughs) with a question? So Jesus' first question revealed the prosecutor's motives. Why are you putting me to the test? You hypocrites. Then, show me the coin used for the tax. They did so. Jesus asked, Whose head is this and whose title? A better translation would be, Whose image is engraved here and what title does he bear? They answered, The emperors. The coin had an image of Tiberius and the title claimed for him was son of god and then in what i think was a telling silence an unspoken but unavoidable question arose it's this and you whose image do you bear and what is your title they would have remembered what Genesis says. Then God created humankind in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them, male and female, God created them. In whose image are you made? What is your image, the image of God? And what is your title? What is your identity? You are God's beloved and cherished daughter, God's beloved and cherished son, in whom God takes great delight. And so does everyone else bear God's image. And so is everyone else God's beloved child. No exception god invites us to look again and again until we see the divine image in everyone no matter how broken or battered no matter how sinful or shameful no matter how successful or failing no matter race ethnicity religion class gender sexuality there is no one who is not made in God's image, however distorted it might have become. And there is no one who is not God's child. Then then Jesus said, well, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's. And to God, the things that are God's. You see, in this twisted, torn, tumultuous world of ours, Caesar or the empire or the powers that be or the domination systems, whatever you want to call them, these oppressive forces extract things from us. But we do not have to, and I think we must not, render up to these powers our humanity, our compassion, our commitments to justice and joy, to peace and mercy. Nietzsche said, he who fights too long against dragons becomes a dragon himself. And if thou gaze too long into the abyss, The abyss will gaze into thee. I invite us to view our politics through our faith in the goodness, patience, and redemptive power of God rather than to view our faith through the fog of our despairing, cynical, and divisive politics. And I remind us that the world is not in the hands of the American president or in the hands of anyone else who will be the American president or in the hands of the North Korean supreme leader or in the hands of the Fed chair. Instead, all of these are, I grant, to varying degrees, but they are all somehow expressions of the empire the world is not finally in the hands of the empire it is in the hands of god the tender tenacious hands of god and so these days i'm trying i need help but i'm trying to be vigilant about what i render what i surrender to whom And I'm praying that in this degrading and dehumanizing era, I won't get trapped into words or actions that diminish anyone's dignity or demean anyone's worth or cause anyone to doubt his or hers identity as God's child. Respect. To look again. And again, until we see the image of God in ourselves and in the others. For several years after he retired from the Candler School of Theology, Fred Craddock served a little country church in rural North Georgia that he helped to start. He said one day he got a call in his office to come to the little small county hospital, really just a 30-bed emergency unit, to come to the hospital because a baby was being born. It didn't happen often at that hospital. He went into the hospital and he met the young father who was standing on the lobby side of the glass looking into the place where the cribs were. And there was one little baby girl who was screaming her head off and the father indicated that that was his daughter. Fred said, what's her name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And Fred felt like he ought to do something to reassure this young father. And she, he said, y- "You know, even though she's screaming, it's not like she's sick or anything. And and it's good for them, really. It cleans out their lungs. It's good for them to scream." And the young father said, "Oh, I know she ain't sick. She's just mad." <laughs> and and Fred said, "Well, she's mad." Why would she be mad? (laughs) And the young father said, well, wouldn't you be if one minute you were with God in heaven and the next you were in Georgia? (laughs) So Fred said, you believe she was with God before she came here. Oh, yeah. Do you think she'll remember? Well, now that's up to her mind. and me. We've got to make sure she remembers who she is. Because if she forgets, she's a goner. Who are you? Whose image do you bear? God's. And what is your title? Beloved son, beloved daughter. Amen.